We are in the third week of a four-week series called Seeing Faith. Uh, And really what we've been doing over the last couple of weeks is we've just been asking the question, what does it look like to have the sort of faith the world can see? What does it look like to have this faith inside you that, that because of the way you live, because of the things you do, people can look at you and they can actually say, hey, something's different about that person because of the hope that they hold. Uh, And look, tonight we're getting into the nitty gritty of it. We're getting into the meat of this series because tonight we are just talking about faith. And so let me just stop and acknowledge the fact that us as Christians, we we have the tendency to throw around words like faith so freely, so haphazardly that uh, they they can sort of lose their meaning a little bit, right? Uh, We talk about the fact that someone might have found their faith or they've lost their faith or they've come to faith. We say things like, he's a man of faith, this is a faith-based business, or, you know, you've got to keep on holding the faith. Uh, that we've attached so much Christian jargon and, and semantics to the word that I actually think for a lot of us, we've sort of lost a hold of what the word truly means. Uh, to make matters even more confusing, the word in the New Testament, which we translate as faith, is this Greek word, pistuo. Uh, and the reason that's confusing is because half the time it gets translated as faith, the other half of the time, it gets translated as believe. And there's a whole bunch of, of other Christianese jargon attached to what it means to believe. And so it just muddies the water all the more. Uh, and so look, if I was to give you a word I think really describes what it means to have faith, what faith means, stripped away of all the jargon, stripped away of all the Christianese, uh, what I would say to you is faith is simply trust. Uh, that it isn't a feeling. It's not the warm fuzzies you get when you're singing a really good song and and you're just getting into your worship. It's not your religious experience. Faith is simply trusting in God. Uh, In fact, the root of that word pistuo, uh, in Greek, it it literally means to be persuaded of something's genuineness. Uh, Hebrews 11.1 says, Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not yet seen. Uh, Ephesians 2.8 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, so through trust. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. And Hebrews 11.6 says, um, Without faith, so without trust, it is impossible to please God. That that faith is is like the the currency we have for a way of relating to and interacting with our God. It's putting our trust in the person and works of Jesus. Uh, that the most famous Christian Bible verse of all time, John 3.16, says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whomsoever believes in him, and again, that word there is pursuer, so whoever trusts in him, whoever has faith in him, shall not perish but have eternal life. That faith is simply trust. Uh, in fact, to, to, stole, to steal a line I, uh, from another pastor I listened to, but you know, if I, if I just say it often enough, it'll just become my line anyway, so that's okay. Uh, faith is simply trusting that God is who he says he is, and he always keeps his promises. That the story of the Bible, it, it's not the, the story of, uh, it's not a whole bunch of histories or, or poems or random laws. It is the story of a loving father chasing down his rebellious children at great cost to himself. And faith is just trusting in that God that he's going to do what he said he was going to do, and he's going to be who he said he's going to be. And so look, tonight, that's what I want to talk about. 
What does it mean to have faith? What does it mean to trust in God? Because if I'm honest, and I know this is church, no place to be honest. Uh, If I'm honest, if you're here for the first time, that was a joke. It's okay. Uh, Some days I wake up and I don't actually know how much I truly trust God. Okay, can I say that as a pastor? Is that okay? Like, when, when life gets hot, when the, the wheels hit the road, when the proverbial um, dung hits the fan, thinking of the appropriate word there, when the proverbial dung hits the fan of your life, it is hard to trust God. It's hard to trust that God is going to come through with what He said He's going to do, that He's somehow taking a hold of our broken situations and using it for our good, that it is really difficult to trust God through the pain of life. Is it just me? You guys feel that as well? All right, I've got a couple nods, so that's good. Otherwise, it would be a very short sermon. Uh, so if you've got your Bible with you, we're going to be in Acts chapter 14 tonight. Acts chapter 14. Um, and look, where we're picking up things... We're working our way through the book of Acts and where we are right now, uh, where we're sort of coming in at the end of the very first Christian mission trip. So Paul and Barnabas, they are going from town to town, city to city, preaching the gospel wherever they go. Uh, And they've been literally all over the, the map at this point. They started out in a city called Antioch. From there, they went to Seleucia, then Cyprus, then Salamis, then Paphos, then Perga. Then they went to a different Antioch because apparently Greek people have this thing for naming every city the exact same thing. Uh, Then they went to Iconium, Derby, and now they find themselves in Lystra. And yes, I did have to practice pronouncing all those names this week. Uh, But it's been an absolute roller coaster of a journey so far. Uh, They've had conflict with magicians and um, governors. They've preached in synagogues and in courtrooms. Uh, There were times where they were welcomed into a city with like, open arms and their sermons were met with thunderous applauses. And then there are times they've just been run out of town completely. Uh, And in fact, where we're picking up, that's exactly what has just taken place. That uh, the last town they were in didn't really like this whole gospel message. And so they're leaving with like stones being pelted at their back. Uh, But Paul and Barnabas, they know being on mission, it's not about uh, where you find yourself, it's who God has made you to be. And so they just get on with the business of sharing the gospel to a broken world. All right, Acts chapter 14, picking up at verse 8. Now at Lystra, there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. All right, I don't want you to run over that verse too quickly. So there's this man sitting there, right? And and Paul's preaching a sermon. There's probably a a crowd of people all around him, uh, probably something similar to this, but but outdoors or or in a synagogue. And and Paul's preaching at the back of the crowd. There's this man sitting there. And he probably can't get a good view because he can't move. And this crowd's just standing in front of him. He's he's down on the ground. He's he's sitting on a dirty mat. And and that's pretty much been the the story of his lifetime. Uh, We're told that, This wasn't an accident, and at some point in his life, he became a paralytic. Uh, This was how he was born, that he was crippled from birth, and he had never walked. And can I just ask you, like, what does that do to your soul? What does that do deep down in your heart when, when you get to see everyone else around you enjoying the things in life that you know you're never gonna have? 
What does it do when you, when you grow up and all the other kids, they get to go out and play and have fun and you're just stuck there on your mat? What does it do to you when, when everyone else is going to work and they're finding meaning and purpose in their lives and you've got to be provided for day in and day out? What does it do to you when everyone else gets to uh, get married and have kids and, and you're just stuck doing life alone on your little mat? Church, what does that do to you when you're in the same place, stuck in the same mat, doing the same thing year after year after year? And look, not only that, this man lived in a time and a place where if that was the situation you found yourself in, then what everyone around you believed is that you had actually done something to deserve that. Uh, that in John chapter 9, there's the story and uh, Jesus and the disciples, that they're walking along the road and we're told that as they passed by, they saw a man that was blind from birth. So very similar sort of scenario. And the disciples asked him, asked Jesus, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? In other words, what the disciples believed and what the whole world around them believed is that this guy sitting on the mat, he deserved that. He deserved the pain he was going through. He deserved the situation that he found himself in. And so Jesus answered them, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but so that the works of God might be displayed in him. That, that Jesus is saying, hey, that, that's not the way that this whole uh, thing works out, that God actually wants to take a hold of that broken situation and use it for his glory. And, and look, as true as that may be, can I just say, when the whole world tells you time and time and time again that you actually deserve what you're walking through, that you've done something wrong in your life and that's the reason you're experiencing pain. Church, can I tell you, you start believing that lie. You start believing the lie that it's your fault. You start believing the lie that things are never going to change. This is just the way it is and it's all because of you. See, honestly, this man sitting listening to Paul's sermon, I don't know how much faith he had. I mean, from the context, we, we can probably assume he believed in God. Um, he's listening to the sermon about Jesus, so I assume he's trusted in Jesus in some way. But outside of that, I don't think he has a lot of faith that God wants to do anything in his situation at all. And yet, as we're about to see, that's exactly where God meets him. And if you are walking through that sort of pain tonight, it's exactly where God wants to meet you. See, as I was working through this message this week, I, I just got a real sense that there are a whole bunch of people in this room. And if you're honest, and again, church, no place to be honest, but if you're honest, you relate pretty strongly to this man. And again, don't get me wrong, you've got faith in God. You believe that your salvation is found in Jesus. You've admitted that you need him. You believe that he died for you. You've confessed him as your Lord and Savior. You have enough faith to receive salvation. It's just that when you look at your circumstances, when you look at the pain you're going through in this life, you don't have a lot of faith that God wants to do anything at all about it. Either that, either he is unable or he has stopped caring because he sure hasn't done anything yet. And so look, maybe you're here tonight and the pain in your life that you've sort of given up hoping that God wants to move in, maybe it's a broken relationship. 
and, and you know, you've just got no faith left that God wants to do anything and, and you've been praying and praying and praying and yet from the outside looking in, all that you can see is that it's getting worse and worse and worse and, and you don't know what to do with that anymore. But maybe you find yourself in a situation where financially, you just don't know how to make it all work together anymore. And, and you know that the Bible says God will provide everything you need for life and godliness. It's just that that was written thousands of years before things like inflation and interest rates and the, the, the cost of living all decided to skyrocket at the same time. And again, you, you look at your, your, your bank account on one hand and your bills on the other and you try to balance those two, two out, but it's not working out and you've lost faith that God wants to move in that space. Maybe it's singleness. And you've just got this thing in your heart that you want to be married. And can I just say, I think the church in general has actually done a really, really bad job of addressing this issue. Because all we have a tendency to say is, oh, well, you need to stop idolizing marriage. And that's your problem. And look, that's true. You shouldn't idolize marriage. But can I just say, God is the one who came up with the idea of marriage. And so you, if you've got this thing in your heart that you want uh, to, to be married, you want someone in your life that there's a godly desire and, and God has put that there in you for a reason. But look, true as that may be, can I just say, if you feel like the man in the story, then that makes a whole lot of sense. Because maybe you're looking around and you're like, oh, they got to get married, they got to get married, they got to get married, but I'm stuck sitting here on my mat and there's no one around and you're losing faith for that as well. Maybe it's anxiety and depression. And it's just like this, this weight sitting over you all the time. And, and some good meaning Christian, they come up to you and they say, oh, you, you shouldn't be feeling that because the joy of the Lord is your strength. And you just need to cast all your cares on God and all your problems will be solved. The problem is you've tried that. And it's like, it doesn't matter how often you pray or what you pray or, or what you do. You, you just can't flick the switch and turn the happy on. And see, whatever pain you are walking through tonight, you, you come in here on a Sunday and you worship God, but honestly, you don't have a lot of faith that God wants to move in that space anymore. And, and maybe just like this man, you've convinced yourself that that means you don't deserve the blessing that everyone else gets to experience. So again, that, that's where I think this man is. I think he's rocking up one more time with, with just enough faith to make it through the door. And verse nine, he listened to Paul speaking. So again, don't run over these verses too quickly. Um, he, he's here to hear the gospel, right? Like he's, he's listening to Paul speaking. So his attention is turned first to the gift giver of God before it's turned to the gift. And Paul looking intently at him and seeing that he had faith to be made well. So, so in a crowd of possibly hundreds of people, Paul stops midway through a sermon. He looks around, he looks through the crowds and he sees a man at the very back of it all sitting on the ground on a mat. And Paul looks at the guy and says, hey, that guy has enough faith to be made well. And, and honestly, I don't even know what that looked like, right? Like, did Paul catch a glimmer in his eyes? Was it a, a look on his face? Uh, did God open like Paul's spiritual eyes and, and he was revealed something in that way? But, but whatever it is, it's like Paul sees this guy and goes, that guy has enough faith to experience change 
in his circumstances. And so let me ask you, how much faith does it take to experience change in your circumstances? Because what it looks like is happening here is that this man has sort of finally hit the right level on his like faithometer and he's, he's got just enough faith that now God can move in his life, but before he couldn't. Like God is one of those um, attendees at Movie World and if you're just the right height, then you get to go on the roller coaster and the roller coaster of God is transformation and renewal and uh, freedom in your life. But if you're too short on your spiritual faith, then you don't get to go on that ride. And honestly, I know there are people in this room tonight and you feel like the reason you've not experienced change in your life is because you don't have enough faith. And so you're in this place of going, well, if I just spend enough nights on my knees pouring out my soul to God, if I just come to church through enough broken weekends, if I just keep on praying the right Bible verses or, or saying the right things, if my faith gets to, to the right level in the faith I'm to, then God will move in my life and I will experience change. And look, can I just say that? That's, that's not the way it works. God, God isn't like an attendee at Movie World waiting for you to do the right thing or get to the right level of faith in order to experience transformation in your life. Well, the question still remains then, how much faith does it take? Because evidently this man had enough of it for something to happen in his life. Well, look, Jesus himself actually gives us the answer to this question. Uh, that that he, he just tells us exactly what happens. So um, I'm going to flip over slightly to, to Matthew in chapter 17. If you feel like turning there, uh, the verses will not be on the screen because I was not prepped on my sermon slides. Uh, but, but there's a story that occurs in all three of the synoptic gospels. Uh, so uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And it occurs right off the back of the transfiguration. Uh, so the transfiguration, uh, Jesus goes up to a mountain with Peter, James, and John, his inner three circle. Uh, and on top of that mountain, he is transfigured. So uh, his uh, divinity sort of rips through his mortality and his glory is revealed to those three disciples. Uh, and just a little fun fact, because I really like this. Um, the, the three gospels, the three gospel writers, they obviously all struggle to explain this event uh, because they all describe it in very different ways. So Luke says Jesus became this brilliant, blazing and dazzling light. Matthew said his face shone like the sun. And then Mark, I kid you not, Mark describes this as Jesus became so white that it was like someone had bleached his clothes. So you've got dazzling light, blinding like the sun, nappy sand. <laughs> um, but, but anyway... Fun fact aside, they, they come down from the mountain and what they are met with as they're coming down the mountain is this man in a very desperate situation. Uh, so his son is sick, he's uh, demon-possessed, and there's nothing at all he can do about the situation. Uh, and he went to find this guy called Jesus because apparently Jesus can, can fix those problems, uh, but Jesus is up on the mountain wearing his white clothes, uh, and, and so he gets the disciples, like the, the interns, the B team, uh, and they could do nothing at all about it. Uh, and so Jesus is coming down the mountain. The man sees him and he falls at his feet and says, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he has seizures and he suffers terribly. And I brought him to your disciples, but they could not heal him. And then he goes on, I'm going to switch across to Mark here. But if you can do anything at all, have compassion on us and help us. If you can do anything, or you ever prayed that prayer? God, if 
you can do anything. Uh, And Jesus replies, if I can, all things are possible for one who believes. And again, the word there believes is pistuo. So all things are possible for the one who has faith. All things are possible for the one who trusts. And immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, but help my unbelief. Jesus, I trust you, but help my lack of trust. And immediately Jesus heals the son. And look, there's a whole sermon there. I wish I had time to to dig into all the details there. But what I actually want to focus on is what happens after the son gets healed. So the disciples, they they come and they find Jesus and they, they turn to him and say, hey, boss, how come we couldn't do it? Loose translation. But um, he, he said to them, because of your little faith, for truly I say to you, if you have faith, if you have trust, like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move and nothing will be impossible for you. See church, how much faith, how much trust does it take to experience change in your life? A mustard seed. A tiny, insignificant amount of faith in a sea of doubt. Just enough faith to rock up to the door. Just enough faith to, to fall at the feet of Jesus and say, Jesus, I trust you, but would you help me to trust you more? See, church... If I was just to give you the the whole point of tonight's message, and and if this is all you took away from it, I would go home a happy man. It is not the amount of faith you have that matters. So much as it is what you put your faith in. That a tiny, itty-bitty amount of faith in an infinite God will always do more than a mountain of faith in anything else. See, church, if you are here tonight and you are just like the paralytic and and all you have is enough faith to rock up to church on one more Sunday, even though you are tired, even though you are worn out, even though nothing in your situation makes sense to you anymore, then I'm telling you that is enough faith to see God move in your life. Because ultimately, it's not the amount of faith you have that triggers God into action. It is simply the act of of grabbing whatever faith you have and putting it at the feet of Jesus that sees God move in your life. That God will always respond to whatever faith we have, whatever little mustard seed we bring to the table. And can I just say, in the same way that Paul looks around and he sees that this man has just enough faith but placed in God to to experience change in his life, God looks at you. And he sees that that little bit of faith that you have as well. That God knows what you're going through. He knows the the pain you're experiencing. He knows the sleepless nights. He he knows that the days where you'd rather just give up. He knows the part of your heart that longs for change and transformation. And God sees a tiny speck of faith. And in response to it, He wants to move mountains in your life. And so verse 10, Paul said in a loud voice, stand upright on your feet. And the man sprang up and began walking. And church, I promise you, God wants to do that in your situation. God wants to do that in your broken relationships. 
He wants to do that in your broken financial situation. He wants to do it in your anxiety and your depression and your stress. God wants to move in your life in such a way that He would turn to you in a loud voice, say, stand upright on your feet and that you might experience transformation in your life such that you spring up and begin walking out the path that God has for you. That God wants to respond to your your little mustard seed of faith. Amen, church. It's when when you all say amen. Otherwise, I'll claim it for myself, but amen. Amen, there we go. Look, uh, unfortunately, that's actually not where the story ends, though. Uh, See, what we're about to be given is this massive contrast in in what it actually looks like to have faith. Uh, Because where is this this paralytic sitting on the mat? Uh, He has just enough faith, but placed in God to see experience change in his life. The crowd around him, They've, they've got a lot of faith. It's just they've placed it in all the wrong things. And so verse 11, when the crowd saw Paul, I saw what Paul, so that's important. They saw what Paul had done. Not they saw what God had done. Not, that what they, not they saw what Jesus had done through Paul. They saw what Paul had done. And they lifted up their voices saying in Lyconian, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul they called Hermes because he was the chief speaker. Now, can, I, can I say, that's a bit of a rough deal for Paul, right? Like, if you're going to be called a god, I'd rather be called Zeus than Hermes. Uh, like, Zeus gets lightning bolts, Hermes has, like, little winged boots. It's, it's not, yeah. Uh, verse 13, and the priests of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance to the city, brought, uh, brought oxen and garlands to the gate, and they wanted to offer sacrifices with the crowds. All right, let me just explain to you what's going on here. So, there's this uh, Lyconian legend, right? that in, in years gone by, in ages gone by, uh, Zeus and Hermes, they stepped down from Mount Olympus and made themselves look like mortals and they walked around this part of Greece. Uh, and they were knocking on doors, going from house to house, looking for someone that would let them in and let them stay in that house. Um, and they knocked on a whole bunch of doors and everyone turned them away until eventually they got to like this little hovel, right? So thing made of reeds and straw. It's, it's not very uh, rich. It's not very fancy. It's a, an elderly couple that live there. Uh, but that elderly couple, they, they let them in uh, and they throw a banquet for them with what little uh, food they have. Uh, and, and this is where you can tell it's a, um, a Greek legend and not a, a God Bible story. Because uh, what happens is God transforms that little hovel into a massive temple made out of marble and gold. He transforms the two elderly people into uh, like these high priests of Zeus. And then he wipes out everyone else. So they just fire lightning from heaven. rest of the town gets destroyed. Uh, so evidently this crowd around Paul, they're aware of the story. They, they know how it goes and they see Paul and Barnabas doing miracles and they're like, let's not risk the whole annihilation thing again. And so they start the whole sacrifice ball rolling. Cool. So application point is clearly don't call people gods. That's, it's bad. Uh, no. Uh, if faith is trust then what I would say is is none of us are actually truly faithless because we all put our trust in something. It's just that often what we have a tendency to do is is like this crowd around Paul, we we tend to put our faith in all the wrong things. Uh, And look, my original plan here was I was going to go through all the things we have a a tendency to put our our trust in that that isn't God um, and sort of go into detail as to what they are, things like, 
We put our trust in our ability, our money, our relationships, our statuses. Uh, we, we put our trust in, in the church or in other people. And, and ultimately, that's actually what's happening in this scenario, right? Like, I can joke about the fact that uh, this crowd is putting their trust in pagan gods, but ultimately, they're putting their trust in Paul and Barnabas. That they're putting their trust in, in other people. Uh, that they see these guys doing miracles and they go, oh, well, if Paul can heal the paralytic, he can probably mend my broken marriage. Uh, if Paul can heal the paralytic, he can probably fix my financial situation or make my field full of fruit, whatever it is. And so they're putting all their trust into that basket. But anyway, I actually think we all really know what it is that we put our trust in, in place of God. Like we all know the things that we run to before we run to God in prayer. Uh, we know what it is that when, when life gets hard, when, when things get difficult, we know where we go, we know what we do, we know the people we run to, and, and those are the things we're trusting in place of God. I, I mean, I, I know what my things are. Like, I mean, just this week, it, it's been a bit of a, a rubbish week for me, right? A um, whole bunch of personal stuff blew up. Um, I, I've been sick. Um, wife went to the hospital last night, so that, that was fun. Um, haven't been sleeping I was up to like midnight a, a couple of nights this week trying to finish this message. Um, it, it was not a good week. Sorry, the confessions of a pastor. Um, and you know what my response was to all of that? I got to work. I pushed really hard. I put more time in. Uh, I read a whole bunch of um, commentaries and I studied and I, I listened to sermons. I did all the things I needed to do. And look, none of those things are wrong in and of themselves, right? But the problem is my first response was not to cling to God. My, my first response was not to trust that, hey, God actually tells me that his word will never come back empty or void. So as long as I'm preaching his word, it's going to do something. It wasn't to trust that, hey, God has given me a sermon every single Sunday when I've needed a sermon. And so in all likelihood, he's probably going to do it today. That no, instead my response was to put my faith, my trust in my own ability to get things done. And see, that the problem is when we put our faith in something that is not God, then our ability to solve that problem will always be limited by the ability of that thing, right? So if I put my faith in money to solve all my problems, then how well I can actually deal with the trials of life is going to be dependent on how much money I have in my bank. If I'm putting my trust in other people, then my ability to solve the problems of life is limited to the ability of that person. And if I put my faith in my own ability, well, I'm the limiting factor there. But I promise you that regardless of how good you are, Eventually, you will come to a point where you don't have what it takes to solve your problems in and of yourself. That eventually, you will get to a point where there aren't enough zeros at the end of your bank account to solve the problems of your life. That the world will let us down, our spouses will let us down, we will let ourselves down because the things of this world, or the things of this world make terrible gods. And ultimately, they are not made to, to bear the weight of all of our faith and trust upon them. And, and look, can I just give you a little word of warning here as well? Whatever you put your trust in, whatever is the thing that you've put your faith upon and that's the thing you run to when life is hard, 
when that thing fails you, whatever you have idolized, you will begin to demonize. That, that if, if you put all your trust upon a person and they let you down, you will hate like that person like you've never hated anyone else. That, that if you put all your faith in the church, and, and please don't put all your trust in the church where, where a whole bunch of mucked up sinners just like you, but if you put your faith in the church, when the church inevitably lets you down, you will hate the church and you'll never go back to it. That this crowd that um, one week is praising Paul and Barnabas and they're calling them Zeus and Hermes, they're, they're lifting them up as gods. Well, next week, when they fail to live up to that pedestal, they're throwing stones at them and they're trying to murder them. That what you idolize, you will demonize. All right, verse 14. But when the apostles, apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their garments and they rushed out into the crowd, crying, men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you, and we have brought you good news that you should turn from these vain things. You should turn from your idols uh, and you should turn to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. See, what Paul and Barnabas understand is that this crowd, they, they don't need to put their faith in people. That, I mean, look, Paul and Barnabas could probably do some good here, right? They could pretend to be gods. They could um, make these guys make changes in their lives. They could shift up how the city operates and it would probably be good for the city. But Paul and Barnabas know that this crowd, they don't need to put their faith in people. They don't need to put their faith in idols or the things of this world. They simply need to trust in God. And so Paul and Barnabas, they, they point back to Jesus. They point back to the gospel. And then they point back to the very same God who can resolve all of the issues in their lives. Uh, verse 16, in past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways. Yet he did not leave himself without witness. For he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. In other words, God's actually able to provide for you in a way that we can't. But even with these words, they scarcely restrained the people from offering sacrifice to them. See, church, to come back to the question I posed at the start of this message. How do you have faith when life is just hard? Well, the answer is you live a life of radical trust. And I know that sounds like kind of a circular argument, right? Like, what do you do when you can't trust? Well, you just need to trust some more. And to some extent, it does feel like that a bit, but what you need to do is put all your eggs in one basket. You need to bet everything on Jesus. There's again, a tiny amount of faith in an infinite God will always do more than an infinite amount of faith in a powerless God. That at the end of the day, if you're walking just through the pain of this life and you've given up hope that God actually wants to move in that space, that you've gotten to this point where you think, oh, either God doesn't care or he's not able or he just doesn't want to help me, then what I'm saying is you need to trust in God. You need to trust that he is who he says he is and he always keeps his promises. That unless we trust in the person and work of Jesus Christ, unless we trust that, that Jesus came on a rescue mission for us and he died on the cross to cover our sins and to, to heal our brokenness, and unless we believe that God is a God who does miracles and breaks chains and frees us of addiction and, and moves in our life, unless we believe all of that church, unless we trust in him, 
And we're not going to experience freedom in those spaces of our lives. And that doesn't mean we have to rock up with mountains of faith. It just means we bring that mustard seed. And we say, God, I trust you. It doesn't make sense to me, but I trust you. And I know that's hard. But that's kind of the beauty of it being faith, right? Uh, that trust isn't about us having it all together. In fact, it's not really about us at all. It's, about, it's not about saying we have everything figured out or saying we know all the solutions or that we're strong enough. It's simply saying that God, even when I can't see it, even when I don't understand, I choose to put my trust in you. And that is the kind of faith that God is looking for. And so look, as we finish this off, and um, if the keys want to come up so I can sound slightly more holy as I finish it, uh, <laughs> I'll finish with this. So in Hebrews 11, there's this section of Scripture, and it's really well known. It's called the Hall of Faith. Uh, and, and it starts off with a, a definition of what faith is. That again, faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not yet seen. So faith is trusting that God is who He says He is, and He keeps His promises. But then it moves from there, and it goes into this massive list of all these people who did these amazing things in faith. And it starts off really well, right? It starts off nice and easy. Uh, by faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice. Uh, by faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. Uh, by faith, Noah um, constructed an ark to save his household. But then it sort of transitions. And it walks through all these people who, who had faith, who trusted in God, but they did so through some really painful situations. Uh, by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out and he went not knowing where he was going. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, his son, as a sacrifice. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of his sons. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months. Uh, by faith, Moses, when he was growing up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. And he chose rather to be mistreated with the people of God. And, and then it goes on and it gets, it gets slightly more general here. It's not going through specific people. And it says, what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak, Samson, Jephthah and David and Samuel and all the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight, and women received back their dead by resurrection. That the author of Hebrews is like, look at all these faithful people and all, all the amazing moves of God they experienced in their lives. And then literally without a pause, without like, a full stop or, or even a change in verses, it just completely shifts. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and, and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with the sword, they went about in skins of sheep and goat, destitute, afflicted and mistreated wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all these were commended for their faith. Yet none of them received the fullness of what they had been promised. Since God had planned something better for us so that together, they would be, together with us, they would be made perfect. That the author of Hebrews is like, yeah, God moved in amazing ways when people had faith. 
And all these other people, they got to have faith through the storms of this life. They got to have faith when life didn't make sense. And even though they may not have received the fullness of their promise now in this life, they still held on to the faithfulness of the promise giver. So again, church faith is not a feeling. It's not something you muster up and just like try and generate enough of it in your life. It's trust. It's trusting that God is who He says He is and He always keeps His promise. It's learning to lean on God when things don't go your way. It's choosing to believe despite the pain that God is working all things for the good of those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. It's trusting that in your singleness and your broken relationships and your anxiety, God is working in that moment and He's working it out for His glory and your good. And again, if you ever doubt that, you just look to the cross. Because if Jesus lifted Himself up a nail-pierced hands and feet and He stretched His arms out upon the cross and said, it is finished, then God's arms are not too short to save. That if God could reconcile a whole bunch of broken, stuffed up sinners like me and you onto a perfect and holy God, then do you really think He can't rescue out of whatever situation you find yourself in? The church, what the empty tomb declares to us is that God loves us, He isn't done with us, and we can trust Him. So look, I actually want to finish with a place where we can step out in faith towards God. That we, we can just put aside the pain of our life, the things we're going through, and we can come to God and say, God, I trust you. That James 5.13 says, is anyone among you suffering? Then let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Then let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Then let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him. Anointing with oil in the name of the Lord, and the prayer of faith, the prayer of trust, will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And so look, we're going to finish in a place of, of, of prayer and, and worship. And look, tonight, if you're in a good place, like, like you feel like everything is just up and to the right at the moment and you're not walking through pain, then what I need you to do is to, to worship our God and I need you to do it really loudly. And the reason I ask that of you is because there are people sitting next to you that their faith might not be in that place right now and they need to see that you have faith to get up and praise God as loud as you can. So if you're in a good place, that's what you do. But if you're suffering, if you're sick, and that word there for sick, it doesn't just mean physical sickness. It literally just means without strength. So if you're like the paralytic, and you're unable to enact change on your own right now, then what I need you to do is come forward and receive prayer. And we're just gonna do what the Bible says and we're gonna pray of you. And look, for sure that can mean physical healing. So if that's what you need right now, then, then we're gonna pray for that. That you might leave this place tonight with a, with a different um, diagnosis than when you came in. Or, or maybe just with like starting a starting point on a journey of healing that God has you on. Uh, for sure, it, it also means things like uh, healing in the mental health space, like things like anxiety and depression and stress or whatever it is. God wants to heal you of that as well. But look, whatever it is that you, 
you're in this place where you've got a little mustard seed of faith and you wanna put that in God and say, God, I trust you to move in the space of my life. Whether that is a broken relationship or a prodigal son you want to come home or financial worries or feeling of loneliness. If you just feel like God is far and you just want Him to feel close again and you just wanna put a little bit of faith that God is actually able to step into your life and speak to you again, then receive prayer tonight. And so look, in a moment, I'm, I'm gonna finish in prayer and then we're gonna uh, enter into a time of worship. And uh, look, there's no official prayer team here tonight. It's all good. We're priesthood of believers. We can pray for each other. Um, and again, the whole point of the sermon is it's not us. It's putting our faith in God that actually matters. So it doesn't matter if I'm praying for you. It doesn't matter if the prayer team's praying for you. Um, if you just need to grab a hold of someone, even if you, even if you don't know anyone here, I, I promise no one is going to look at you if you ask them to pray for you and like have this look of disgust on them. It's okay. And we're just going to pray. And we're going to let God do what He wants to do in this space. And we're gonna bring that little mustard seed of faith and trust that God is a God who's, who does what He says He does and He always keeps His promises. So Lord, I just thank You that that is who You are. Lord, that You are a faithful God. That time and time and time again, You have proved Your genuineness to us through the way You have moved. Lord, you, you are the God who shuts the mouths of lions. You are the God who sets the captives free. You are the God who rescues and redeems and restores. And you are faithful, God, and you have been faithful then and you will be faithful again. So Lord, right now we just come before you. And Lord, we ask for forgiveness for times where we have not trusted you. When we've trusted in the things of this world over you, Lord, we repent of that. But right now we turn to you. And Lord, though, though it doesn't always make sense to us, though we're hurting, though life can just knock us down to, to our knees, Lord, we turn to You and say, we will choose to trust You. We will take that itty-bitty amount of faith and put it in You, a mountain-moving God, and trust that You will do what You want to do. So we pray this all in Your name. Amen.